You are listening to the Pull List Podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Murai, part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. Hey everybody, you are listening to the Pull List Podcast, a part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. My name is Chris Poirier and joining me today is my partner in crime, Hector Mirai. Say hi, Hector. Hi, everyone. And we just want to bring you this first installment of the Pull List Podcast, where we are going to talk about comics, pop culture, and faith, and how all of those things interact. Uh, Just to give you a little idea who we are. Uh, we want to give you folks an idea of where we come from and what we're about. So Hector, how about you give us a quick idea of who you are and why you're here? So I am a longtime comic book nerd and also uh, advocate of faith and Christianity and all Jesus-y things. Um, I'm a pastor from Lumberton, North Carolina, but I also write a book series called Faith and Fandom. And I tour that around Comic-Cons in the Southeast I'm also a former screenwriter for Clever Movies and Screen Junkies. Which is great, and it's actually how I met Hector in the first place. I actually manage a comic book store here in Cary, North Carolina called Ultimate Comics. But I actually met Hector uh, during a convention here in Raleigh while I was attending seminary because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do post-seminary. And I met Hector and saw what he does with faith and fandom and went, wow, there's, there's something between these things. And... Then, of course, we met the folks with uh, Love Thy Nerd and just all the pieces kind of came together. So I literally work in comics every day through the store and also am a staff member with the North Carolina Comic Con. So I do things for them as well. So kind of just soaking in all this nerdy goodness that we wanted to be able to get together and talk about the things that we see uniquely through our day jobs and also just how that interacts with our faith and how it interacts with culture just in general. So we just want to be able to share our lives and the things that we find interesting throughout our day. So Hector, uh, what are what are you reading this week? What's on your poll? Okay, my this week was kind of a soft week to me. It was. Uh, for comics. And um, the only two things I actually picked up this week specifically were the um, Batman King of Fear. And mm-hmm. uh, the damage annual from both of those are from DC. Um, as you'll hear, I'm more of a DC reader than Marvel. I'm not against Marvel. I'm just waiting for better things. Right. Um, I, I guess we're going to have to stop the podcast now because we, we can't have such division. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I actually I'm kind of the same right now. So I feel you. But uh, go ahead. What else? What else you got going on? Um, those are the two specifically from this week. Um, and uh, in general, beyond that, my my broader pull list is uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, um, Tom King's Batman, uh, also reading uh, the current Justice League arc, the one that's just up to issue six, um, Domino from Marvel, Plastic Man from DC, and um, I'm back and forth on the current Venom run. I want to invest in it, but I also don't. Uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, uh, My Hero Academia, Daredevil, and Unnatural are oh, yeah. uh, some of the ones that I'm currently reading and The Walking Dead just never goes away. So that's kind now of feel- my broad list. No, that's fair. What would you say is your favorite read off from those right now? In general, Tom King's Batman is my steady favorite. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about that, about that a little bit more today. But yes. um, uh, beyond that, uh, I've really, really, really enjoyed um, Red Hood and the Outlaws, 
this current run. Uh, they're up to issue 25. And I can honestly say like the first, I'd say 18 out of those 25 were great, which is a pretty strong number for a 25 issue run of comics. And um, my, my just concern is though, that they're about to take a, uh, a hard turn about the direction of the book, the, the feel of the book. The best part of the book to me has been, um, I feel like they finally got the formula right for a Jason Todd group um, before with a, you know, Jason was previously in an outlaws group that consisted of a red arrow and uh, Ar- not Artemis, but a Starfire, um, former teen Titans. And it just, I always felt like it was the wrong mashup. I felt like it was the wrong the wrong team and that Starfire Starfire was extremely poorly used as a character. Um, but in this last 25 issues, the the team dynamic has been a bizarro Superman, you know, a clone of Superman. Right. And yeah. Artemis, the a basically outcast Amazon. So I thought it was just really a nice effect that they made a mirror, a dark trilogy a dark trinity of dc outcasts uh a dark superman a dark batman and a dark wonder woman and just watching their team dynamic has been outstanding and it's kind of been heartwarming and in the last couple issues they've torn everything apart and now jason todd is about to come back looking like a mortal Kombat extra and i'm, <laughs> I'm trying I did to learn see those uh yeah, the the cover art, you know, he he's got the the scorpion mask, the a red hood, obviously it's his name. Um, but you know, like sword placements on his back where he's carrying a katana and a crowbar. And um I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm I'm going to read this. It's one of those deals that you have to be really bad for me to not read a Jason Todd comic book, because he's sure. one of my top three favorite fictional characters and uh I think it wasn't until I think I've read everything Jason Todd except the Red Hood and the Arsenal run when it was just those two, because I'm like, I I can't deal with y'all. So I'd say that's kind of my favorite. But then, you know, Gail Simone's books of Plastic Man and Domino are both kind of a joy to read each month. So those are my those are my bigs. I pretty much decided this week, though, that uh, after buying the annual for damage, that I'm going to let damage go. Um, I've tried really hard. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, damage is a one of the new DC characters introduced over the last year um, that is supposed to be like the new class of heroes. And he's basically a cross between our man and the Incredible Hulk. He's a character that has immeasurable strength and potential for one hour and the entire time it's an internal struggle within himself. And it's it's been solid, but um, I feel like they're beating a dead horse in the pace of their storytelling. And at this point, something else should have happened. And how are you releasing an annual and you've had this few issues? So I'm like, y'all need to step your game up. But that that's kind of where I'm at. So what about you? What are you what's currently turning your pages? Well, I'll tell you what, um, the life of a comic book store manager may seem like this absolutely amazing uh, goal for so many folks in the industry, but uh, the realities of being in shop every single day means that sometimes I fall a little behind. And uh, I find myself in that circumstance uh, right now that I'm, 
I'm not sure I've looked in my poll this week to see what's there. Um, and I came to the same conclusion that this week seemed like it was, it was a little slow and that sometimes happens usually in the third and fourth week of a month that things will kind of plateau off to set up for the beginning of a new month. Um, but primarily my poll typically is a smattering of everything because the joys of being in shop is I need to know a little bit, at least of everything or have some idea. Uh, but specifically I'm the same that, uh, Tom King's run on Batman is very much towards the front of my list. And that's why we chose, we're going to talk about that today. Um, but also Tom King's run, uh, Mr. Miracle, that, uh, maxi that they're running, uh, one through 12 has just been so good. And it's- it's easily one of the best things I've read. No, and everything down to the art telling as much story as the narrative that's taking place, that so much is being communicated in that book visually as it is through reading the story, that, that that's just been a blast to read. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying Doomsday Clock, um, which is currently the successor, if you will, to Alan Moore's original Watchmen series. But even more specifically is taking the Watchmen and pulling them into the DC universe proper. So for folks that might not know a whole lot, um, the Watchmen was told as an isolated story. It didn't take place in the same part of DC's universe where uh, Wonder Woman, Batman, all the regular characters took place in. And Alan did that on purpose. Um, But as part of rebirth, which has been going on for about two years now, which well, is did it on decent. purpose, but like, yes, oh, one yeah. of my favorite things about the trivia of it is that it wasn't originally supposed to be that. that right. Right. Originally it was supposed to be canon characters. Um, that the question was Rorschach's role. There was a lot of different pieces and then, yeah, they just, like you said, they ended up on that different Island And then historically, Alan Moore also doesn't like to have his stories changed or added to. So this kind of just became a thing. Um, But I think the most fun part about it so far is Jeff Johns, who is currently writing it, is clearly a Watchmen fan and has done such a great job that this has been a love letter is what I consider it to the Watchmen universe. And I know you and I have talked offline before and other conversations that he even introduces new characters that feel like they just belong, like they've always been there and that they just move along, introduce these new characters and give us part of the story that we haven't had before. Yeah. Mime and Marionette are gold. Are great. Yep. Uh, I'm also, re- I'm also reading Unnatural, which is um, a fascinating book um, from Image that actually was, Yeah. <laughs> It, yeah, it's it's one of those, um, be careful, be warned, uh, listeners, um, that it's it's a sensitive topic, but at the same time, there's lots of neat things going on in this book. It was originally done in an Italian market, so in Italy, um, and then was brought over to the U.S., and it tells a story of a oppressive government and kind of what that pushback against societal and cultural norms would feel like for folks. So there's a lot of mature themes in the book, but it's tackling very interesting and very relevant stuff right now. And then I think I'm also, what's really good that I'm reading. Um, You've heard me gush before on uh, the Black Hammer stuff, and I have a new Black Hammer book, uh, Age of Doom, sitting in my poll for this week. So that's the book I need to dig out and catch up on. Uh, writer Jeff Lemire has kind of created this dark superhero universe. So it's not your typical Marvel or DC 
um, superhero story, but more about the feelings and intricacies of those heroes and what their life is actually like and about outside of the fact that they have really weird, strange superpowers. And Jeff just is great at writing those types of stories. So my pull list can be anywhere from Daredevil to Batman to I'm reading a lot of X-Men titles as well. Did you and pick course, up this week's current Daredevil? Have you I have actually read that? I have it, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So I'm looking forward to that because that's one of my more favorite Marvel reads. Um, I was going to say Matt Murdock. It really looked yeah. to me like uh, the that run from well that run that I picked up after the last time I talked to you about uh, the whole deal with the holy armor knights and uh, the troll looking villain. I mean that was a really enjoyable run, and I know they're shifting gears now. But uh, that's what I'm interested to see what's about to go down with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's kind of what I'm reading. Uh, I'm also trying to keep up to date with My Hero Academia. So that kind of becomes my other outside reading source as well and been enjoying Which the show. That most recent book was, uh, it felt really slow in the first sections of it. But um, there comes a point towards the end of it that it's like, you know, just the last section of that book made it a really solid pickup of sure. this most recent one. And that's one of the that's one of the things I appreciate most about my kids reading a lot of what I read is like we're currently also watching My Hero Academia and my kids are like, This isn't in the book. Why are they stalling? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like I'm like, Well, um, they're running out of comic books and they've gotta throw in some filler episodes here. So yeah, and I was going to say it's a good part to talk about it just for a moment is that they've actually even written an article recently that talks about the fact that they're starting to do episodes that are usually what most series would refer to as filler, but they believe that they're providing filler, but also at the same time still trying to progress the story and the characters individually. And I kind of see that. And I've been trying to separate the two mentally, which can be part of that fun challenge of reading something we really enjoy and then seeing it actualized in either a show, a movie or something. But either way, it's been a really fun process just to kind of look at and see how it, I mean, they're similar teams. It's not unlike in the American market where typically a comic book gets adapted and maybe the original creative team has some input that in at least a lot of manga, what you see is the creative teams are usually actually pretty similar or the same. Um, so sometimes that's why you see things. I just feel like in a lot of cases that anime just ends up being pretty good, but then we get translation issues and that's more so where you'll see the differences. Yeah, the translation that. issues are, are kind of present, but you know, I feel like these are better filler episodes than anything you get from like Dragon Ball Z. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Like the, the filler episodes in Dragon Ball Z, you feel like you're literally being tortured. And then, um, these episodes, no, like, the one that was this past weekend's actually, you know, it was a filler episode, but yep. I was it was actually a pretty intriguing story, and I feel like that's one that would have actually been a lot harder to pull off on a page. So yeah, there was a lot of inter- interaction and the relationships of some of uh, the heroes starting to come out as they're going through their exam. So, but. Yeah, no, this is a lot of what I've been spending my week, my month doing. Um, Obviously, being in the store means that I try to pick up pieces as I go. But I think one of the best parts about um, what we share, Hector, is 
that we usually try to take a look at a lot of this stuff and apply the lens from our faith, from our faith background, and from the reality that we both have jobs that we do on the weekend, or we never really, it's, we say weekend, no, but we're always, um, ministry never stops people. It's just one of those realities. So you may hear us refer to the weekend, but yeah, um, ministry is always something that's going on that a lot of comics and these types of stories tell these stories of struggle, tell stories about humanity and tell stories about our culture. And that's really what we want to focus on with this show. And to get us started, something recently happened within Tom King's run on Batman that that entire story has just been kind of amazing with lots of ups and downs. And one thing that makes Tom King an excellent writer is his focus on relationships and even internal struggles of characters is something that he just excels at. But we actually want to talk about this episode, Batman issue number 53 specifically. So much was going on. And Hector, how about you kind of set us up for what's been occurring and then where 53 leaves us so we can kind of get into it because there's a lot to talk about here and we want to be, we want to try to be into the issues here because we think, I mean, our culture is talking about it. It's not just comic book news, but you might've read Batman's an atheist. What? Um, Right? No. um, So the, we're currently in a three-issue arc called Cold Days um, that jumps off right after the not-wedding of Batman and Catwoman, where they made their big advertisement of the wedding issue that didn't happen. And then um, we jump right into Bruce Wayne in Jury Duty. Um, and in some of the discussions in the groups I'm involved in, there's been a lot of complaints that these are dragging out, but I'm like, be patient, people. There's a purpose in this. But in essence... Um, Bruce Wayne, Batman, being distraught and heartbroken over uh, the not wedding of his fiance, um, he goes off his deep end, which is you know his mo. He gets heartbroken, he gets darker, and blah blah blah. But normally, it takes someone else snapping him out of it. But he snaps out of it himself this time and deals with it. But he basically decides that Mr. Freeze is guilty of a crime and beats Mr. Freeze within an inch of his life to the point that Mr. Freeze confesses to a crime Mr. Freeze did not commit rather than Batman destroy him. Um, And so feeling the guilt of that and seeing what he's done, Bruce Wayne has bribed his way onto a jury so that he can uh, make sure that Mr. Freeze doesn't end up going down for his temper and his guilt and his anger. And through this process, Bruce Wayne has been using this time uh, 12 Angry Men style to deal with his own personal issues, hangups, and frustrations. And it ended with the, I believe this is the climax of the story, um, it ended with uh, an issue of 53 where most of the mass media started saying that Batman is an atheist, um, which it was... which shows a little lack of integrity on their parts of actually reading. But anyway, um, that's where we start this off at. Starting from the beginning, it's an interesting story because Bruce Wayne got jury duty. Not Not just that he bribed his way in for a specific purpose, but money cannot get you out of jury duty. That's just just all we're saying. But apparently it can get you back into it. I think that's the message that Tom was trying to send. Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've never actually had jury duty because being um, 
a local minister in the area. Uh, I've always, I'm always doing missional or ministry things. And so the, the judge in our area, every time I walk up to say something, he's like, Oh, never mind, go ahead. And just tells me to leave. So I'm like, I'm, it's, I'm pretty sure Bruce Wayne could get out of this, but I know it's nice that I actually chose to come to it. Right. So I think one of the things that really stood out to me early in this was like you said, that at first it felt kind of slow. Um, but just knowing how Tom Tom King typically writes his stories that it's like, nope, there, there's a very purposeful place he's trying to get us to. And for a three-issue arc, which is kind of short for a typical comic book run, typically you're looking at four to five issues is a full story arc that he got a lot of emotion onto the table of this entire concept of bringing um, Victor Freeze to justice. But we're seeing the piece of that Batman like literally went off the deep end on him. And so we see the issue of is Batman taking out his emotions uh, because that Mr. Freeze actually killed some people or is he literally just beating his anger into any, anything he can get his hands on. And kind of what we see through the story is Bruce is literally working his way through this trial, realizing having that self-actualization of, he was an easy target for me to wrap my hands around and be able to beat into the ground. And that doesn't you know, necessarily really make that, things right. Right. It's, it's that issue of, you know, when you read issue 50 and you're like, I feel bad for whoever is the first person in his path. Right. You know, well, well, it turned out to be freeze obviously was the first person in the path. And, um, you know, none of the, none of the, rogues of Gotham are innocent. Um, if they go to jail, it's not like, you know, that's a, a heartbreaking issue. But as you go on into the story, you realize that Freeze had been totally chill. He had been committing crimes. He right. was living up to his parole, all of these things. And that he only armored up and got into this fight because he heard Batman was coming for him. So in realis- realistically, it was self-defense. But right. And and I found that fascinating in this discussion is one thing that a lot of writers typically kind of gloss over when talking about Mr. Freeze as a rogue is we always see oh freeze gun. He's freezing things. He's doing it for nefarious reasons. But most people miss where he came from and how he what his origin story was in that. Truthfully, as a scientist, his wife was dying of a disease that he couldn't cure. So he comes up with a way to try to cryogenically freeze her so that he can figure out how to save her. His love for his wife is just unending. And then as a result, falls into a path of crime. But then constantly throughout this storyline, and it's revisited in Batman the Animated Series, in a lot of the different comics, is this fact that Victor at the end of the day does remember who he was and why he's doing what he's doing. And And that's why the the least villainous villains, you know, which is another reason why I can't stand, uh, you know, Arnold's partake of it. I I can't, (laughs) I can't get down with anything from uh, those movies, but uh, you know, it's freeze being a scapegoat in this was unfortunate, but uh, it, it just really leads to the point of, moving on in the capacity that 
Freeze was just an unlucky target, but the real meat of the story, you know, Freeze, you barely even see Batman exist in any of this, these three issues. It's the right. simple fact that Bruce is dealing with his aftermath of his own actions and jumping right out the gate in the, in the beginning of the issue. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm flipping through these things. I get excited. Um, point of interest, you know, and with between me and Chris, Chris runs a physical comic book shop and I am selfish and live far from a comic book shop. So quite often I buy my comics digitally and which I know makes me a trader and a center above all ranks, but it's okay. You know, I, I, for, I forgive you. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. So personally for me, like I literally wait until Tuesday at midnight and I'm excited to pick up my comics, like while everyone else is sleeping. And so, you know, it's one of those things I'm waiting to go to bed and like on the second page or no, literally on the first page, um, of the book, Bruce Wayne starts asking another juror if she's wearing a cross. And I'm like, go on. And, you know, it just goes into this discussion of her asking, or they have this dialogue where she said that, she, you know, that she believes in God and that she says, is this a problem? And Bruce says, never. And it's, you know, I just remember sitting in that chair and like, oh boy, Tom King's about to talk about faith. <laughs> I'm excited. Right. Uh, however, this turns out, I'm excited because you know, I've all of my interactions and things that I've seen with Tom King. Even if it's not his personal story, he is a masterful storyteller in what he's doing and the points he's getting across. So I remember literally by the second or third page, I was super hyped to finish this because just for me, being a, my heart about these things and the stories that are told, it's a big deal. So, like, uh, what were your impressions just going into it before? Because you read it before the hype really hit. Um, right. No, I was certainly shocked um, that, A, it was it was at least billed that that was going to be the end of this story. And it was like, okay, well, this needs to get somewhere. We've literally been sequestered with this jury now, basically, for three issues. Um, and he leads off with that question of, hey, is, is that a cross that I see? And the woman's like, why, yes, do you take issue with that? And he's like, no, not really. And then Bruce goes down the story of telling basically his growing up that, yes, his parents were devoutly Catholic and that they attended church and not Catholic. with them. It wasn't. Oh, wait, no, that's right. Episcopalian. Um, he's, the the quote is, uh, my father was a Christian. He held right. hallow the immortal soul, heaven, the father and the son giving your will to the Lord, trusting him with that will. They wanted me to believe that too, but he wanted me to come into it on my own. We went to church. He told me all the stories. We talked a lot about what we can and can't control. And, you know, I just think it was such a neat entrance because of all the, you hear stories of Thomas Wayne sure. all the time and you hear references to them and their faith. But the fact that you literally see that Thomas Wayne and Martha intentionally we're trying to raise Bruce up to be a per Bruce to be a person of faith. Uh, I was like, Oh, well look at that. You know, even the, I love the aspect as a parent, just saying that he wanted to me come to it in his own terms. Um, being a pastor, right. being, I've been a missionary. I've been all down these professional roads of faith. One of the things that I've always been afraid of is pushing faith onto my kids. Cause I have three daughters and I don't want them to ever feel like you have to roll with what I believe because dad believes it. Um, and to try and let them come into that on their own. So I just thought that was a really nice touch. And, um, but on a flashback though, there's a few issues back where, uh, 
Booster Gold changes history um, by letting Thomas and Martha live. And at that point, Bruce is very active in his faith, you know, in this alternate future. And so, you know, I, I thought that was neat that it really did show that if it hadn't been for this tragedy in his life, because the next few pages of the issue really do break down that it was the simple fact that he couldn't believe in something like God or faith, um, but dealing with what he was dealing with, with what that hole he left him, you know, the, the quote says, I put aside believing in a deity or believing anything my father thought and saved him. I couldn't really see anything that saved him. And, you know, it was just that deal that he couldn't put his faith in the God that let his parents die. Right. And And I, I think that's what actually spoke the most to me. Um, personally is that this this is a story that a lot of us can relate to whether it's someone that has found their way into faith or found their way out of faith that this is a story that a lot of us have heard is that we grew up in our parents faith they didn't really force it on us um, and then some type of event occurs in their life that those paths diverge and in this case it was the horrific robbery and ultimately murder of both of his parents before him that pushed him in that way. And his natural response is anger. And I, I get that. I, I can understand that. I know personally, when I lost my father, I, what I had actually just recently become a Christian and I was mad as hell. And it's just raw emotions of losing someone close to you in such a violent way is something that's going to alter how you look at life in general. But I think what was most fascinating in this story is that Bruce doesn't talk just about the fact that he used anger as a reason to separate himself from that part of the story, that it also became that path of becoming the Batman and putting so much into that existence and persona that what Tom King does in this story is we start seeing Bruce tell this story of we're going to convict Doc, Mr. Freeze because the Batman said so, right? How many people here have been saved by Batman or think, you know, he's the greatest thing that Gotham could ever do? And, you know, every single one of them raised their hands, right? And he's like, but the Batman isn't infallible, right? And that part was really what I started finding interesting was, oh, I see what's happening. And I I started getting (laughs) excited because you could kind of start seeing where the end of the story was going to be was – Bruce was literally having out in front of a bunch of people that had no idea what's going on that he had come to this point of worshiping Batman just as much as the people around him. When it wasn't even just about the people's response, he had created Batman to be his own personal God. Um, Right. He said that uh, I searched for something solid to put my faith in. I asked a great deal of questions and paid for some answers, but I didn't find anything out there as far as I went. So I came home and waited for something to find me. And, you know, and it's that classic scene of uh, the bat coming in, breaking through the window, finding him. So he literally turned um, Batman into his God. And uh, he goes on to say, um, you know, he literally verbatim says, I thought he was God, saying that Batman, right. he thought he was God. And 
that's just crazy to, you know, literally hear him say that out loud. And this was one of those issues, just one of those moments, just like with the, the book Judas, literally every page as I'm turning, I'm waiting, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath to see, is this going to end positively? Or is this going to be like the most negative Jesus Rickroll of all time? Um, and, you right. know, literally, there's, there's one page where uh, Bruce says, God is above us and he wears a cape. And I, you know, I was like, oh no, don't do it. But then literally the next panelist, so that's what I thought. And, you know, I was just like, man, go on. I, I think this was, I'm part of a discussion group at my local comic book shop. And uh, there's a guy I don't really agree with his thoughts or opinions on anything in life. But, you know, he goes on to say, these were the most boring waste of issues he's ever paid money for. And I'm like, bro. Oh wow! Do, do you do you even read these things? Um, because this was some of the most beautiful storytelling. And let me just pause and say, Lee Weeks' artwork is flipping phenomenal. Um, oh no, Lee the Week- whole story has just been pieced together and visually What's, amazing and narratively. A year ago, I didn't know who Lee Weeks was. And Mm -hmm. even though he's a classic comic book artist and one of my friends was at a comic con and said, Hey, did you know that guy over there is a Christian and was talking about Lee weeks. So I went and got a print from him. I gave him a copy of one of the faith and fandom books. And then literally uh, a year later, this dude's doing one of the best Batman issues I've ever read. Um, So it's just crazy. And I think that's, what's great about the medium. And I mean, for this particular issue, obviously we're very much, um, talking about the faith and overlap of the two issues. And that, that's what's so amazing about comics in general is that the creators, both the artists, the writers, and everyone involved, there's lots of people involved in getting a story to a page. And these are people too. They all have their upbringings, their backgrounds, and the things that make them who they are. And then they have the constraints of their characters and editorial that ensures that, you know, the continuity of the universe stays together unless they're literally out to do something crazy, which does happen. It does. Happen. Um, but what's been great about this story is it gives us this um, a very typical story. I'm sure a lot of people have had this or heard this faith story in some way, fashion, shape, or form. And what's fascinating to me is when I've talked to some people about this particular story arc, they're like, right, he's an atheist. And it's like, did you read the whole story or did you just stop when, because <laughs> there's one panel towards the beginning where he's like, well, I used to have faith. And then he tells the rest of the story we've been talking about. And people are like, right there, he said he, he was an atheist. And it's like, but then no. he very quickly steps back to explaining that what happened in the absence of that in his life was he filled that void with something and that something was Batman. And what he was starting to unpack was that that might've blinded him to a lot of different things. And, you know, I think the most fascinating part about this is culture in general jumped on and said, Batman's an atheist done deal. We're good here. Um, I I, I literally had like a eye roll stomach churn when I saw Jessica Chobo saying Batman's an atheist. And I'm like, come on now. (laughs) Right. And a bunch of us sat and went, well, we don't know yet. The story could still go somewhere. We don't know. But then a few days ago, after almost a week of these stories propagating, Tom King himself on Twitter puts up, the last panel of the book, because the other thing that everyone was so excited about was 
the story wraps up and Batman says, Alfred, get the old suit out. And we're yeah, back to Batman suit. wears, right, he's wearing the trunks, trunks on the outside. If you don't know what we're talking about, it's really important to comics that Batman and Superman, the briefs are on the outside. Look it up. But You'll why? see what we're talking about. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, we don't know why they wear their underpants on the, outside, on the outside. I wear my underwear on the outside. I get arrested. Right. And it's- right. It's a, st- it's a style choice and it works for DC. Trust us. But he came to, he told that entire story and he said, I got to get back to roots. So get the suit out. And then at the very bottom of the page is a quotation out of Job 1. And he had been telling the story from Job during the entire section of explaining oh, his faith. Let, let me everything. just hit that because yeah, go I got to say, like, I don't expect to be theologically challenged when or encouraged when I'm reading a Batman comic. I might look for like, oh, look, that's cute. But I don't look for a theological challenge. But there's this one moment like in the book when he's still explaining himself to the jury before, you know, we get to the Tom conclusion. He says, uh, you know, he says, and it's almost this sarcastic tone of he's the world's greatest detective. And he just turns and looks at the jury and says, who are you? And, uh, and then he walks to them and says, you ever read the book of Job? That's what God said to him, right? God tore his guy's life away. He burned his family and his children, or his farm and his children. And Job gets a little angry and asks God why. And God says, I created the mountains and the miracles. And you're questioning me, you who are you? And then he breaks down in tears at the table. Who? Who are you? And, you know, he's not talking to the jury at that point. He's literally talking to himself, you know, that, um, and then even going on that, uh, he says, uh, I fell, everything falls. And he said, um, I screamed as loud as I could. I screamed and my scream was a prayer to him to the mask and to the symbol and to the, the rope and the fist. I begged for him to catch me tears in my eyes. I fell and I begged and I waited, please, please, please Batman help me. And it's, you know, that he literally prayed this prayer to Batman to save him from the pain that he was dealing with. I'm just like, this is a guy seeing that his false security, his false idol, his false sense of self wasn't going to save him. And, you know, I think my favorite, one square panel of anything is that uh he says he's not god he's not uh he tries he does i know and he fails time and time again but he can't he does not and this and this was my favorite thing and then when i started hearing people talk about the atheist angle and i'm like did you read this because like he says this in present context he says he does not provide solace from pain he cannot give you hope for the eternal he cannot comfort you comfort you for the love you lost and he's referring to batman then he goes on to say god blesses your soul with grace batman punches people in the face and my only regret is i wish that didn't rhyme right because i'm waiting for that to be like a hook and a trap song in the future except that that's i mean the beauty of comics is that more than likely that that was he rhymed that on purpose oh yeah i know he rhymed um, that on that's purpose. that's very that's very batman in terms of that context but i mean that's what's kind of wild though, right? Is we're sitting here talking about comics. Yes, we're people of, of faith and everything, but we, we're not 100% sure on Tom King's position as a writer. We have an oh, idea no. of, where, of where Lee Weeks comes from. Um, but this is a mainline, one of the best-selling comics that comes out every week. and It's we're the having, best Batman run of probably my adult life altogether. We're, right, we're having this discussion right here. And so 
all these different fact patterns are falling on the table and all the stories are Batman's an atheist. We finally know for sure. Um, and then Tom King, a week after the book comes out, literally just posts the picture from the end of that issue and says, I'm not saying, but I am saying I wrote it and that that's not how I read that. Yeah, he said, but um, a lot of people yeah, saying he, Batman 53, which I wrote, shows Batman is Batman an atheist. That's not how I read the com- that comic, but I don't think my reading is, of it is the most important one. Anyway, I hope you read the whole thing for yourself and decide for yourself. Right. And that was, I mean, that's when some of us got together and went, oh, we have to talk about this. Yeah. Because, yeah, with so much else going on in comics in general and so many wild things, there's very few issues where we actually overlap issues of trauma from early in someone's life, what their life looked like before and after a traumatic incident. And then for Bruce, he just went through another emotional, like part of the reality of Batman is this entire concept of he, he's trying to fight for justice, but as a vigilante, simply because of that traumatic loss of that huge gap being ripped out of his life of losing his parents, that finally getting to the point literally decades later where he might fall in love with someone actually trust someone again. And then that whole thing falls through that. It it seems clear that Tom King was setting up this situation to be, you know, the next difficult reality for Bruce Wayne. And then we literally see him working it out in public through the venue of this trial that it's, it's just such a wild piece of comics but at the same time it's also so comics um and i think that's what i love about this is that comic book writers and creators forever and ever have found all these really awesome ways to tell stories or what seem like over the top stories and technically all the pieces of this one really is over the top but then tom brings us all the way back into just this little room of 12 people and we get almost Batman, Bruce Wayne's entire faith story almost in a full circle. And to me, that's been amazing and it's great because it opens up all kinds of conversations. And just as Tom King said himself, it's like he he basically was saying, let's have the conversation. He's like, I know that I wrote it and that I read it a particular way, but the beauty of comics is let's have the discussion. Let's talk about what you took away from this particular thing. And if anything, I think that's, I think that's the, what's that's like great. one of the most powerful parts is like you can read this and I get it. Like, I think some people just jumped on the atheist thing because it was convenient and it was sensationalist and people were getting that out there. I think it was obviously the atheist thing was a big push for selling, you know, clicks. But beyond that. I understand how someone could read this and take it both ways, but I know, you know, it's one of those things that I think you mentioned in just talking to me that, you know, the Christians that read this felt venerated, the atheists that felt this read, this felt venerated, um, that they had actually come across something that kind of just spoke to them, you know? And to me though, like coming across to the last issue or to the last page of a mainstream Batman comic and the end of the issue being a full panel 
of quoted scripture that literally ends in blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm like, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't do anything better than me. You know, that's, you know, as a nerdy Christian, that's about as good as it gets. And, you know, I've had a lot of friends that have picked up this issue just because of the commentary on it. And so I think that is a great thing. You know, people picked up the wedding issue because in, I don't want to knock anyone for picking up the wedding issue. Cause I know, especially right. your, your store was a, had a big factor in that, but people pick up the wedding issue because it's sensationalist because it's a, a moment in time. It's, you know, I think people have done the climax issues ever since Superman died. Um, yep. To me, in my memory, when you think a big life change is happening, you pick that up. Well, yep. you know, I, I personally ran out to buy the engagement issue for that reason. Like I heard I was in Tennessee speaking at a kid's camp and I, you know, rather than picking up on my Kindle, I'm like, oh, no, uh, Batman's getting engaged. I better go buy this. Well, I know there are a lot of people that picked it up, but there are people picking up this issue, not because it's a sensationalist moment in the history, but there are people picking this up because there's an honest discussion and breakdown of faith coming from literally one of the most iconic characters in all of pop culture. And that's powerful. So what? whether, I here's the deal. I don't need Batman to believe in Jesus. I, I don't mm-hmm. need that. Um, it doesn't change me loving Batman. I don't think it necessarily, you know, if, if you had Batman being an avid Christian or something, I'd be like, mm, that might be a stretch. But I don't, I don't need Batman to justify my faith. But the fact that he can spark a conversation about things like this. I think that's fantastic. No. And I think that's exactly why we wanted to talk about it here today. And I think that's a great segue point to also just give people a rundown of what we're looking to do when we get together to be able to provide this hopefully wonderful podcast to the folks that love thy nerd is to have that honest discussion is that yes, we come from a faith background, but one of the things that we absolutely enjoy about our being nerdy and being comic book geeks is that comic books have just become, well, they have been this wonderful medium that provides artistic abilities from people that can draw well, art, uh, color, Um, and also people that write stories to come together as creative teams of people to be able to bring a product to market that isn't just sensationalist. There's plenty of those stories, but what's really been hitting well in the market for the last couple of years and kind of revitalizing comic books in general is these really deep hitting stories that are overlapping characters that a lot of us know and love, but giving us the personal angles that haven't quite been entirely fleshed out on the pages. And that's just what makes being able to be engaged in it so enjoyable and why I enjoy what I do on a day-to-day basis, because the comic book store is where people come in to have these conversations that a lot of these books don't just get read and we leave them on the table that people want to talk about the experience that they just had, or did someone share what I took from this particular story? And we think that's what's been happening in culture is that they read this story and went, right, he's an atheist. We finally know. And he's just shed everything around us. And people of faith read the same book and went, no, he's about to return to his faith because that's the place that he's grounded. But this is the conversation that gets to be had in the public space. And that's 
what we hope to do is that we want to be able to absorb a lot of the cool stuff that's out there, be able to talk to some of these cool creators. Um, we hope to do some interviews and bring them in so we can get what they were thinking when they were doing it. You know, all of us can sit here and assume what um, some of these folks do, but it's even better to bring some of these creatives in and be able to have that discussion. So that's kind of a quick hit of what you can look forward to on this particular podcast. Um, but yeah. So what final thoughts do you have for us, Hector? Well, I just, I, I really do. I think this, I think it's a great place to be able to have these discussions and, you know, this is the thing. Batman 53 is a rare commodity. You're not going to find mainstream comics that this avidly look for faith content. And uh, you're also, you know, and that's one of the things that we're not going to do. We're not going to try to shoehorn uh, Jesus speak into everything, but yep, it doesn't have to be a story about God or Jesus to like actually spark those conversations. But, you know, like even um, Batman 50, uh, the wedding issue this past weekend, I was at a Charlotte Comic-Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, we have a friend that's professional in the business um, who uh, works for Sonic. He wor- works on Sonic the Hedgehog. He's worked for DC. Yeah. He's worked for Marvel, Iron Man, some different things like that. And, uh, you know, he he. this is a comic book artist that lost his wife at a young mm-hmm. age. And um, he said, you know, that he couldn't put the issue down of issue 50 because it was literally helping him process how he lost his wife. Sure. And, um, and so there's literally, we're standing in the hallway of a comic con, um, hundreds of people walking around as other artists, other creators. And I'm talking with a guy who's process comic books that helped him process how he dealt with the loss of his wife. And then he told me straight up, I'm scared to read this issue because um, it dealt a lot more with the book of Job. And, you know, he, he knew that it was going to apply to his life. He's like, I can't read this issue here because it's going to wreck me. Um, so it's, it's the only thing. Comics can be such a powerful medium. And the content and the heart of them, I think, are something that just translates into our everyday life. That's what you guys can look forward to here on the pull list that we'll be able to pull apart some of the bigger issues, some of the cooler things that we've seen. We'll even talk about some of the absolutely crazy things that occur in comics because there's plenty of them. Just this week happened to be one of those cool topics where we get to talk about something, just as Hector said, we don't get to talk a lot about typically inside comics. So stay, stay with us. Um, hit subscribe and see if this is something you guys are really into. We're just glad for the opportunity to be here to partner up with love thy nerd and be part of the podcasting network. And, you know, just like we've said, comics are really cool. And we're not just saying that for the fun of it, that if it can literally bring somebody to the point of having to deal with some of the things that they've experienced in their life to you just read, to be able to get that escape and read something absolutely crazy, or you are reading it because of the social commentary or the cultural commentary comics are where it's at. And just remember no matter what we're here, we love all you guys and read more comics. You've been listening to the Polis podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Mirai part of the love thy nerd podcast network. Be sure to rate and review the show and share on all the social media. I'm going to take all seven continents of the game of risk.